welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. We have weekly discussions with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. This week, we will be discussing the WSU Cereal Variety Testing Program. My guest today is Ryan Higginbotham, director of the WSU Cereal Variety Testing Program. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Drew. So can you tell me a little bit about your background and the variety testing program here at Washington State University? Yeah, I'm originally from a dryland wheat farm in Elmira, Washington. I went to school at Washington State University and did my undergrad and master's there. I worked in the winter wheat breeding program at WSU for a few years before I entered into this role uh, with the variety testing program. The variety testing program evaluates winter wheat, spring wheat, and spring barley across eastern Washington. And the goal really is to provide information to farmers about what varieties of cereal grains would do best in their particular growing environments. You know, we evaluate release varieties and also experimental lines. Uh, I like to say that I work for the farmers. You know, I work with the breeders, but I don't really work for the breeders. My job is to give information to farmers and industry, uh, in particular seed dealers and people who are helping farmers make decisions uh, about what does best in their areas. So to provide information to, to the broader uh, audience across eastern Washington about where these varieties might be the best fit. Seems like there's a lot of varieties out there. How does the variety testing program uh, decide which varieties they're going to use and how do you structure your testing program to test all those different varieties? Yeah, so I split the, the trials out by precipitation zone, especially on the winter wheat side. So I draw a line at 16 inches of precipitation and there's probably a little bit of wiggle room there. Maybe it's 15, maybe it's 17, but uh, you know, we call it 16-inch uh, dividing line, and then I have some entries that will be planted everywhere. Uh, varieties that seem to be pretty broadly adapted will get planted at all those locations, and then some entries will get planted just at the lower rainfall or the less than 16-inch locations, and then some at just the higher lo rainfall locations. We also have an irrigated uh, trial, so that's another unique set of entries. So, so a variety could land in, in any one of those testing sites based on where it's a, the ideal fit for that variety. And sometimes we just don't know. Maybe it's a new experimental line and the breeding program has decided they don't really know where it might best be fitted or they're not quite sure yet, so we'll test it every place. So we split things by precipitation zone uh, on the winter wheat side. On the spring wheat side, we don't do that. So there was a point in time, I guess, before I took over where they gave the breeding programs a chance to test things at different precipitation zones, and they just said, test it every place. So it just didn't make sense to continue that. So we test all the spring wheats at all the locations, uh, same with the barley. So we have 24 uh, winter wheat testing sites, uh, 18 spring sites, and 12 barley testing sites, spring barley. So the, the way that we arrive at that list is, you know, I'll meet with some of the uh, farmers in the state, I'll, I'll seek input from some of the seed dealers and Washington State Crop Improvement Association to kind of get a feel for what varieties are still out there uh, being grown on significant number of acres and where they seem to be the best fit. Uh, but by and large, it comes down to the breeders. So if a breeding program has, you know, two experimental lines that they want to test and they want to test them in the higher than 16 inch precipitation zone, then that's where we'll test them uh, because that, they know those breeding lines the best, they know where they're the best fit. Uh, for a release variety, you know, typically if it's new, we'll test it wherever the breeding program thinks it is the best fit. 
And then if the variety kind of changes and grows in terms of its adaptation, we'll, we'll spread that out a little bit. So that's kind of how we structure where the entries go and, and uh, how we arrive at that final entry list is with input from uh, industry and the breeding programs. There are a lot of places uh, Washington farmers can go to get variety data. What uh, sets the WSU variety testing program apart from some of those? Yeah, that's a good point. There's, it's not like we run the best show in town. I think we're doing a really good job and have some great things to offer, but there are a lot of places that are doing variety trials. Uh, you know, seed companies, chemical companies. Uh, there's just some straight up private contract research that goes on that provides information for farmers. And I think they all have a fit and they're all doing a good job. Uh, some of the things that I think set the variety testing program apart are, are uh, availability of the data. You know, we have a website uh, at the Small Grains website, so smallgrains.wsu.edu slash variety uh, is where you could go to find our website. And on there, you can always find our results. So you can find the location maps. If somebody wanted to go find one of these 24 winter sites, you could find out GPS coordinates to that location, a map of how the entries lay out in the field, so you could actually walk through and see each individual variety in each of the three reps that it's in the field and take notes for yourself whenever you'd like. Uh, and then the harvest results are always there. So a lot of programs or other uh, outfits do good research, but the data is just not available. You know, maybe that's distributed one time via email or it's a hard copy at an annual meeting for a particular company and it's just not always distributed. So I think that separates us a little bit. Uh, the other one is that we present information over years and over locations. So I, I always say that one year of results are not very useful in predicting future performance. It's just a snapshot, it's one tiny spot in the field in one given year. Uh, the more powerful tool, I think, is to look at results over multiple years and then multiple locations that are sort of similar uh, in, in, in terms of their environments. So we provide that kind of information, uh, results over years and locations, and other. that's one thing that I think separates us. A lot of places do really good work, but it's just one year. Uh, so it's a nice uh, snapshot in time, but it doesn't give you a whole lot of useful information in terms of future performance. And then the third thing that I always point to is I, I think we're pretty inclusive. I have entries in the program from all of the breeding programs in the Northwest, both public and private, uh, even some that maybe the, the average listener is not familiar with. Uh, so a lot of times some of the other trials, if it's a seed company, they might have X number of entries, and typically those are going to be entries that they're offering for sale, or entries from a breeding program that they have a, an agreement with and they sell those varieties. So, you know, they, there's not a ton of incentive for them to explore options and bring in varieties that they don't sell themselves, if we're talking about a seed company. So my job is just to provide information. So it doesn't matter to me where the varieties come from, uh, but we've, we're trying to be pretty inclusive uh, and allow everybody a seat at the table to see where their variety might best fit. You generate a, a lot of data each year from a lot of locations, uh, but every once in a while, uh, some of these sites, you don't uh, present the data. Um, why is that? Yeah, it's a couple of reasons. So we're, we're no different than the normal farmer. You know, the normal farmer is going to have some equipment issues and Mother Nature is going to cause some problems, and that happens for us from time to time as well. So, for example, we might have a location where the drill acted up and the opener's plugged, and so it just we contaminated seed from one plot to the other and we don't have a true uh, pure uh, plot of a given variety. So that's an example of a, a location that's just not going to be usable because uh, you know either equipment error or mother nature caused a problem where maybe we got rain 
uh, on a trial uh, right after we planted out in the deep furrow country and it crusted and didn't all emerge. So, you know, that's just not going to be useful. The information on what emerged is useful, but the yield results won't be, won't be useful. Uh, so those are examples of times when it just, it's outside of our control somehow and, and it's just not going to make for a, a usable trial set. The other example is sometimes when we take these through to harvest and I get a chance to look at the, the data that rolls in is that there's variation across the, the field and, and there's always going to be some variation and that's why we try and pick a spot that's uniform when we pick a spot for these trials. Uh, but sometimes we just land in a bad spot or half the trial ends up in a bad spot. For example, we had one this year where we had standing water over the back corner of the trial. So the entries in that corner where they were waterlogged all spring didn't perform as well as the entries in the rest of the trial. So it wasn't those varieties fault, they just happened to fall in that part of the field that, that was waterlogged. So it's not a good representation of true potential of those entries that were underwater. You know, sometimes we have just strange soil variation and we have wild yield swings from one replication to another. So it, it doesn't matter to me what wins the trial or what yields the best. And I don't care if we have a spread from 100 bushel down to 5 bushel as long as it's consistent, as long as a given entry is consistent across all three reps. The problem comes when we have an entry that yields 20 bushel in one replication, you know, 50 bushel in, in another, and 100 bushel in the third rep. Well, which one is the true, the true value that a farmer might expect? And that's where the problem arises. So sometimes it's just statistically, it's not meaningful information. Uh, and it's, I can't put it out in good conscience because what the worst thing that could happen is a grower looks at that data set, makes a decision about what to plant or what not to plant uh, based on that data when it really was just random chance as to whether that variety ended up in a good spot or a bad spot in the field. So I want to put out results that are useful uh, for farmers to make decisions on. Uh, and and if, I, if I put out results that are questionable, then they might make decisions based on a bad data set. So if people are interested in trials that I don't post on the website, they can always contact me and I'm happy to provide those results to them you know, for their own personal use, just with the understanding that it may not be really useful in predicting future performance. And they could get in touch with me uh, at my office, phone number 509 335-1205, or they could email me at rhiggenbotham at wsu.edu. That'd be r-h-i-g-g-i-n-b as in boy, o-t-h-a-m as in march, at wsu.edu. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Drew. Thanks for listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you have questions for us that you'd like to hear addressed on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu. You can also find us on social media on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. Subscribe to the show through iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next week.